walking in town one day and I passed by my favorite record store called B-Side and I just went in and was rummaging through the dollar bin and I was thrilled to find this album called When by Vincent Gallo and I hadn't even realized that he made music. I thought he was just in movies and so I bought it and I took it home and I started listening to it. I've been a Vincent Gallo fan ever since I rented Buffalo 66 in high school and I was watching it with my boyfriend, and he really wanted to turn it off. He hated it. He just thought that, that Vincent seemed like a head. And I refused to, and we got in a big fight about it. And, of course, he ended up going home, and I stayed, and I watched it. And I just was fascinated with him. I mean, he's just so real, and he's so original, you know. And, and most Hollywood stars, they're, they're just so fake and, and plastic, and they're really, it seems like they're in it for the money, you know, whereas... This guy is directing and writing films that he really cares about. They are him, you know, and he doesn't compromise anything. So I'm sitting in my room just listening to the album, and the first song, which is this really beautiful instrumental, I'm looking through the liner notes, and the song is called I Wrote This Song for the Girl Paris Hilton. I was just like, what the f***? So I go online and I Google... And I find out that they once dated. And on this fan website, I found this video of them holding hands, like running through this parking lot and being chased by paparazzi. I was blown away. I was really upset about this. I can't think of anyone I hate more than Paris Hilton. I mean, she's famous for absolutely no reason. She's famous for being a whore. I mean, all she does is, you know, give on the internet and she's not even that attractive I mean to think that Vincent Gallo could be interested in somebody like Paris Hilton just it just it turned my world upside down before I found his CD I I I could have never imagined something like that I guess now I just have to face the facts but you know they're both in the same club and I have to learn how to deal with that When I first came across this story on the internet, I felt that I had stumbled upon evidence of just how misunderstood our celebrity-saturated culture is. But the more and more I ruminated on this teenage Zen Cohen, the more and more I came to share in the young girl's confusion. I think she's laboring under a misapprehension that, um, that there are different sorts of celebrities. Corey Sika is the managing editor of Gawker Media, a collection of high-profile internet blogs. Up until recently, Corey edited the flagship site, Gawker, a blog that deals with Paris Hilton, Vincent Gallo, and their ilk on a regular basis. So I called Corey up to see what he made of this tale of disillusionment. Paris Hilton and Vincent Gallo both um, are really classic versions of celebrities, and especially of, of, of the new way the people are celebrities. Um, you know, as opposed to the old way, as opposed to Carol Burnett, who has to put on a quality TV show. You, you know what I mean? Um, and so we have Paris Hilton on one hand, who is absolutely um, driven by a force to, to, to 
both make money and to appear in the public eye. But and also Vincent Gallo, who's who's probably a little more conflicted. I mean, I think his um, I don't want to use the word pretensions because that's actually kind of dismissive because he actually does work very hard. Um, I actually, you know, love that album that has the Paris Hilton song on it. Me too. I'm going to put it underneath our conversation. It's, it's great, right? I really, I, I was actually kind of stunned because I actually don't want to like him because I find him really objectionable personally. But he is a classic example of celebrity because what's fueled his career? His feud with Roger Ebert mm-hmm. you know, over, you know, he should get cancer, blah, blah, blah. Um, his stumping for the Republicans this year has fueled his career. And his sort of notorious, you know, homophobic, bad boy, unwashed thing has fueled his career in the film world and the art world. He has posed, particularly around the, you know, the Buffalo 66 period as kind of like, you know, an indie auteur, you know, um, so he totally did peddle this idea of himself as an artistic genius, as his, as his um, mode of celebrity, definitely. So I can understand why she feels that they're different kinds of celebrities. But their real talents are both disguised. You know, they both work in the the, the world of scandal. That's their that's their art object, basically, is scandal. So they're absolutely representative of what makes people famous now. Living and working in New York City, Corey Sika has a pretty intimate relationship with contemporary celebrityism, and he seems to be well-versed in its history and lore as well. But when it comes to understanding why we are so celebrity-obsessed, Corey just laughs and suggests that we get our cultural DNA checked out. This culture industry happened to us at a certain point. I'm not exactly sure, exactly sure when. People have made a couple suggestions. Um, uh, one was that the first real celebrity uh, of our time was uh, the brother of John Wilkes Booth, Edwin Booth, who was a famous actor um, and was also touched by scandal in a fashion that we'd relate to a lot right now. Um, you know, his brother shot the president, and, you know, and, and so he's kind of the beginning of our tabloid times. But, but broader than that, um, a lot of it has to do with our natural love of consumerism, which I think has been tapped so efficiently that perhaps we're, like, genetically hardwired to enjoy celebrity now. My name is Benjamin Walker, and this is The Theory of Everything. On the radio program this week, Celebrityism, a study of the famous, the super-famous, and the not-at-all-famous. One of my sister's... uh neighbors who worked as a stand-up comedian told me to go to Central Casting, and I went in, and they simply took my picture, and they said that I had a good look, and I, the next thing I knew, the next day, I was on a TV show, and uh, then the next day, I was called to be on another TV show, and since then, they've been placing me in the background of all these different TV shows and movies. How did this happen? Uh, I can't even, I can't understand it now. I'm on a TV show um, about Charles Manson's life called Helter, it's a remake of Helter Skelter. And I'm in a movie about the L.A. riots. It's a musical, it's a rap comedy musical. And I was sitting there with Snoop Doggy, Snoop Doggy Dog all night. Uh, 
these things go on for like 12 hours. I'm sitting there as the white lawyer that defends uh, Officer Coons and the white policeman who beat up Rodney King. And they actually gave me a line there. And, uh, and what, what was your line? Your Honor, these men are innocent. It's funny that all these people come to L.A. with their resumes and headshots and been working for years, and they don't get anywhere. You know, there's only like 1% of actors that are working. But me, I snuck in through the back door. All I did was have my picture taken, and people liked me. And um, then I get called up for these TV shows. So how much money have you been making? Well, the thing is, uh, you don't really make that much as a standard background, just walking around doing crosses, like you cross from point A to point B. Some things you make actually minimum wage. They pay you minimum wage? It's minimum wage for background actors. <laughs> but what the, the deal is, is they keep you 14 hours. So minimum wage turns into double time after eight hours. So when you work a full day, a 12-hour to 14-hour day, you end up making $125 a day. For me, it's really good money because all I've ever made is maybe four or $500 a week, and I'm on TV. Like, what's on TV tonight? Look, you know, I have to look in the newspaper to see what's on, because some of those shows, I'm on. It's funny, because I was watching uh, the movie The Producers, uh-huh. and there's all these background actors. These background actors got paid to dress up as Hitler and do this whole scene. You know, and that's the kind of work that I'm doing now. A lot of it's really, really fun. You know, for 12 hours, you sit there, you, sit, you stand around, but then you, you, you go in when it's your turn, and they, they do a couple of takes. And um, that's my job now, to, like, run down supermarket aisles and sing songs and, um, you know, cross from here to there. And some days I make only minimum wage, which is $54 for eight hours. And it's never eight hours, so it's always at least $125. And sometimes it's double that. It's $300 if I made a SAG voucher. The way you make a SAG voucher is if you're called foreground background. And what I do is I come onto the set, and I realize where the camera is, and I do something special that the other background people aren't doing. Um, oh, I don't know how, how to explain this on the phone. Okay, there was this movie called uh, Shop Girl, a Steve Martin movie. Uh-huh. And the scene opens up with the camera just panning into Saks Fifth Avenue on Beverly Hills. It's the beginning of the movie, and they just wanted background people to walk in front of the store. So I took it upon myself to walk in front of the store, but with a newspaper. And as I walk a, 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 across the length of the block of the store, the newspaper, I keep folding it smaller and smaller and closer and closer to my eyes. So I'm doing a little slapstick comedy way in the background. Steve Martin himself saw, um, looked at the camera dailies and said, hey, that's funny. So they made, they actually took a still shot of me and they gave me a, what's called um, a day player rate. They actually featured me in this movie. And, it, and I got $634 as a day player because I made up my own thing as a background. And on, on this... Uh, program, this HBO uh, program, Deadwood, um, I was just a background player, but when they said, all right, background action, you just walk across the street, I walked as a bow-legged cowboy, <laughs> right? I walked bow-legged. So this can go either way. Either way. 
the director can shout, hey, stop that, you know, because you're upstaging and you're, you're just supposed to be in the background. Or they can come out and they say, hey, that's really good. You're the town idiot. You know? What happened when you were walking bow-legged? When I was bo- walking bow-legged, the, not the director, because if the director talks to you, you get way more money. But the assistant director said, hey, that's really good. You are the town idiot. So I got paid double. I got paid a union wage for that day. Unlike these other actors that have been doing this for a long time, I find out where the camera is, I see where it is, and I see how to get into the frame. And I always think of something to do to elevate my background work. Peter Choice, a background actor, working in Hollywood. I chose to start the Famer writing anonymously because I thought that, you know, having a writer that's anonymous on a website that's all about fame and celebrity... You know, something about that seemed fitting. Mark Lasanti is another one of Hollywood's background actors. For the past six months, he's been the anonymous editor of The Defamer, an extremely popular web blog that covers the Hollywood entertainment machine. Recently, Esquire magazine unmasked The Defamer, naming Mark Lasanti as one of the industry's best and brightest. I called Mark up because I wanted to find out if he imagines his job will change now that he's no longer nobody. I don't think that the next six months are going to be any different than the first six months. Um, you know, whether the site says editor of the defamer or editor Mark Lasanti on it. I really don't think that people were interested in the site per se because it was written by someone anonymous. With it. I think people read it because they're of a mind with the, uh, you know, the kind of the worldview of the site, how Hollywood, you know, is perpetuating itself, uh, the machine of celebrity, the machine of publicity. Mark Lasanti may have only been on the job for the past six months, but already he seems to have a rich understanding of how the machinery of celebrityism works and what it's got planned for us in the future. I think we've kind of entered this era of the pure celebrity, the person that's famous for being famous because of reality television and, you know, 500 cable channels. Now anybody, pretty much anybody at all, determined enough to get themselves on television has now that available to them. You know, there are so many different shows. If somebody wants a television camera pointed at them, it's not that hard to get it done. Growing up, you know, in the 80s and, you know, the late 70s as I did, there wasn't that kind of easy access to being famous or semi-famous. You know, if somebody you knew was going to be on TV for any reason at all, it was kind of a big deal. And now it's almost commonplace. You know, everybody gets now their 15 seconds of fame. So do you think people actually even understand what celebrityism is? You know, in our culture, in, 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 in our American society? I don't know that people necessarily understand why we're so obsessed with celebrity. It's just 
these are these the people that we see on TV and on magazine covers and in the movies, and they seem larger than life for us, and therefore automatically worthy of our attention. You know, I'm not sure that there's a lot of reflection going on about why we're staring at. We always come back to Paris Hilton, you know, on a magazine cover, and you know, what about her? Is so great that we're paying attention to her, other than she's everywhere or that celebrities are everywhere. I mean, you can't turn anywhere without Tom Cruise's face going by on a bus or Will Smith's face on a billboard. You know, it's we're so bombarded by it that it's it's kind of you know like breathing to to take in images of celebrities at this point. It's completely unavoidable. And you know, when I listen to you say that, it makes me think that I can't possibly get any worse but you're, I think you're definitely wrong I think it, it can only it's gonna get worse just because that we haven't even dreamed of ways that we're gonna have celebrities fed to us in the future you know the amount of you know entertainment options is just exploding you know we have they said 500 cable channels and the internet and you know satellite TV and we're going to be getting TV on our telephones in a, in a couple of years. It's just, there's so much bandwidth that needs to be filled with people's faces and entertainment that, you know, it's going to be celebrity by suppository. We won't even have to look at anything. We'll just take a pill and stick it up our ass every day and we'll get the, the day's news and trailers for movies. Mark Lasanti is the editor of Defamer.com. actually know who all the actors are and they're fans 
But for the most part, they're egomaniacs like me. And all we, we think that we are the actors. So the film might be all about the dialogue, but the, the real film is about who's standing next to the people immersed in this dialogue that we always hear as trite because we're not saying it. And we're really the stars. And just like our little movements, like the fact that they don't really want us to move, they don't want us to overact, like that's good acting. Like the fact that I didn't move my hand or go or overreact, but I just move my eyes just slightly. They're going to like that. They're going to keep that in. And I know I'm not going to be focused out. Every now and again, that's not, uh, there are actors that you meet on set and they stay way in the background. Like they don't want to be seen. They're too important to be seen doing extra work, so they hide in the background. So you have people like me that always just go right up, press my mug against the camera. Cause I think that's what works best for me. They see me and uh, couldn't hurt me. But there's a lot of people with this crazy pompous attitude. No, I can't be seen doing extra work. My agent will never call me if he sees me in this movie way in the background. You really hear that a lot. Yeah, and I wonder that is such crap. Like. I'm sorry. We saw you uh, uh, standing to the right of uh, Barbara Streisand. You were a little fuzzed up. We know that was you, so we're going to cancel your gig. How dare you lower yourself? The other day, I was on TV three times, but and I actually stood there. I was going to call you, but then I didn't because I realized I cannot make a person watch an entire hour of judging Amy because I may or may not be in that jury. Don't you don't you feel that there's I mean there's there's you know larger horizons I mean this is this is kind of hack work I mean you're you're in the background yeah but you're putting negative spin on so what should I do hang up and feel bad that I'm just doing this <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> it is hack work but I try to keep my dreams within my reach um, so I don't have any crazy pompous dreams of starring in something but I do have dreams that. Like within a few months, I'll have like one or two lines in some moderate movie, and something like that would be really um, elating for me. So you're, you're, we're talking like fame on a more manageable scale. Yes, that's my dream. <laughs> But you know, any fame, any two bits, like you make make fun of me because I just walked past the camera on um, on Full House, but. I'm there. I mean, I'm on Full House, and you're never going to be on a on a TV show. I mean, at least I'm there. I'm, I'm there every day, and it's not about the money, but it's it's. I can't speak for all extras, but, but so, it's an attitude. So, is there such a thing as a, a career in in being an extra? Uh, well, you have to have a back. You have to have a backup. While I am sure that most of you are familiar with the story of Narcissus and his obsession with his own reflection, I doubt that many of you are aware of the fact that most of the mythology books don't tell the entire story. After Narcissus dies, Charon channels his spirit across the river Styx, and in route, Narcissus, of course, leans over the side of the boat and once again becomes totally enthralled. With his reflection, and so when they pull up to the pier 
in order to eject Narcissus from his boat, Charon is forced to beat him with one of the oars. There's an orientation meeting for the new arrivals, but Narcissus skips out. He walks around until he finds a small pool of oil out behind a tool shed. Then he crouches down until his own image appears in the viscous muck illuminated by the fiery orange light of Hades. And this is where he remains for the rest of time. In fact, he's still there now. I know this because recently I paid him a visit. You see, last month I was asked to be one of the guests of honor on a high-profile celebrity cruise, and one of the places we stopped at was Hades, and while everyone else went off with Bruce Willis and Britney Spears to check out the torture pits, I took a pair of young graduate students in pop culture studies to visit my old friend, Narcissus. We actually used to live in the same neighborhood, and at one point we were in a band together, but we only played one house party, which was a total disaster. Narcissist hooked up this desk lamp in front of him so that he could have his own spotlight, and even though I knew that everyone liked to look at him, I became enraged, and midway through the performance I kicked over the lamp, shattering it and our friendship. For years, he kept the cassette tape of that night's performance in his car. People told me that he played it all the time, and while you might think that this was merely his way of letting everyone who got into his car know that he used to play the guitar in a rock band, it really had nothing to do with that. Take it from someone who used to hang out with him. Narcissist liked hearing himself just as much as he liked looking at himself. I met the two graduate students, Caitlin and Eloise, at a bar on the upper deck of the cruise ship. They were both beautiful and funny and intelligent, and I really wanted them to like me. And so when they told me that they were both studying celebrityism, I tried to act like I knew about all that stuff, when in truth I don't. Actually, I have no idea why our culture is so obsessed with celebrities. In fact, the only reason I'm doing this radio program is because I thought it would be a great way to introduce my friend Peter Choice to you all. I figured his philosophy of the extra would work well as counterpoint in a program about celebrities. Well, obviously I didn't learn from my experience on the cruise ship because, once again, I find myself in the same mess, caught pretending like I have something to say about celebrityism. But at least on the cruise ship, I had a plan. I figured that Narcissus would bail me out, because I was certain that if there was a key to understanding how all this celebrity stuff works, it was certainly him. In fact, I was certain that once I got Narcissus to share his wisdom with my new friends, Caitlin and Eloise, well, then it would be nothing but my ties and menage a trois all the way to Barbados. But as soon as we came upon Narcissus crouched there in front of that small pool of oil, I knew that there would be no my ties and no menage a trois. Narcissus couldn't be bothered with us. He was too engrossed with his own image flickering on the surface of that oil slick. 
And so, after a few uncomfortable minutes of silence, Caitlin and Eloise excused themselves and made off for the torture pits where we could hear Bruce Willis and Britney Spears whooping it up with all the other passengers. I hung out for a bit, but it was mostly small talk, and to tell you the truth, I'm not even sure he remembered who I was. And so, eventually, I made my way back to the ship, where for the remainder of the voyage, I stayed in my cabin by myself. I'd like to thank my guests, Corey Sika of Gawker Media and Mark Lasanti of Defamer.com. Meredith Kula performed The Teenage Tale, and Peter Choice reported live from the lots of Hollywood. You can find more information about the program as well as an audio archive at www.toeradio.org. My name is Benjamin Walker. Be sure to tune in next week for another Theory of Everything.